0: Everybody, welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, an exclusive home of Cubs Chat. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. We have an awesome pod for you today. Myself, Tony as host, Andy Martinez is here, and then we have Lance Brezdowski. And Lance, this is one of the most fun times of the year. It is your updated top 25 Cubs prospect rankings. So a 2022 midseason, It was what four or five months ago. It was just before opening day that your preseason prospects came out. But so Lance, as you were putting this list together, can you just give us a little snapshot of how difficult was this to put together and you know just like what did you struggle with the most how did you view this list compared to the one you put together four months ago.
1: Yeah, the, the biggest difference here is that I finally feel like I came up with a good process. So this is the first the first list I've done where I have year-over-year data with guys. Um, so I have some sources in different organizations and stuff that allow me to get access to minor league data. So these are things like pitch velocities, pitch shapes, exit velocities, on hitters, et cetera. And for me, I really value that stuff because I think I've gotten a better understanding of how to interpret it on the player development side and contextualize it also is very important because you're not going to run into like major league A's velocities and class A Myrtle Beach, for example. But it's the first list I did where year over year, I was able to see differences and really start to understand trajectory and development of certain prospects, understand, you know, repertoire changes, usage changes, velocity changes, and really bake that into the rankings. Um, and it's not drastically different, which makes me think that my prior process was decently good, but I really like the process I have in place now. Uh, not, not to toot my own horn a little bit there, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's
0: good. to away, yeah.
1: Lance. Two to away. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's good. I feel really comfortable going year to year now, list to list now, in terms of, you know, having good reasons as to why guys are moving up or guys are moving down. I think that's key.
2: I, I think for me, when, when I looked at the list, uh, the, the biggest takeaway for me is, like, you know, this... I can't imagine from your perspective how hard this is, must have been because it's a deep farm system. Like, I, I mean, you look at the names, like some of the guys that are towards the bottom were maybe near the top, you know, in one of your previous yeah. rankings. And some guys that were near the top in some cases aren't even there. Um, the, How tough was it to kind of not only, you know, I mean, it's, it was pretty clear, you know, Brendan Davis, number one, but then to just kind of put them in order after that uh, and what's that, you know, Pro, like, how long, how, how late are you up trying to, trying to figure that out?
1: I, I like sleep. I, I tend to try to get my sleep <laughs> because it, help, it helps me mentally process things. But, no, I, I feel like, I feel like it, it helps to have a deeper system in some ways because you can fill out 25. Like the first list we did for Marquis was only 20. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, like, the back five of that list was tough because, like, they're just, you have to really kind of expect multiple changes to a given player to have them inside the top 20. And at the same time, I mean, this is not a knock on any Cubs player specifically, but it is a knock on like prior systems. They just weren't as deep, you know? And now you have a bit of a gluttonous situation where like, there's four guys that I left off this list that I put in the honorable mentions that I was like, they can make it on to this list in some capacity. And I even got some tweets I saw on Twitter about like, why isn't this guy on? And it's like, listen, he was in the honorable mentions. Like there's 25 here. I don't know how I could have gotten him on or who I could have taken him off, who I could have taken off to get a specific player on. So that was the biggest thing is just like, am I comfortable leaving certain guys off? So it was difficult, but I got some sleep. <laughs>
0: Lance, I'll, uh, I'll toot your horn a little bit here. I, I always <laughs> enjoy reading your, your rankings, you know, and obviously there are some awesome ones out there as well. You know, I know Jim Kellis does a great yep. job. i to be pipeline friend of the network and podcast as well. Um, but what I love about yours is just like how many people you talk to. And I know that you kind of like run the list to some extent, by people with the Cubs. And so like, it's very cool to like hear that kind of the internal and external view of the Cubs system. But Lance, just in your opinion, from talking to all of those people, how do you kind of view this system? Cause you just talked about the depth and, and everything else, but like, you know, I think we've seen an influx of guys, but just overall, like, you know, there's the some elite talent at the top, but also like really deep guys. So like, just how do you look at this snapshot, not even necessarily 25, but just the system as a whole. Yeah, I,
1: I view the system very dense rather than top-heavy. I think to think of a top-heavy system would be to think of, like, the Arizona Diamondbacks, where they have two-ish, three-ish players. Corbin Carroll's an outfielder who is good. Drew Jones, obviously, their top-five pick this year in the most recent draft, are, like, elite special talents, and then they kind of have a gap and not much depth. And the Cubs are – I don't want to say the inverse of that, but the Cubs have a lot more, like, guys in the middle – who I think project as either utility or majorly average players, even maybe slightly above, a lot of density in there, which I think is good for the most part in terms of being able to eventually push to the major leagues a lot of guys to make an impact as opposed to one star player that you're building an entire team around. So that's the difference to me, I think, between maybe the Cubs system and some of the other systems. Even like the Pirates in the division, they have, I think, more of a top-heavy system than a deep system where they have like a variety of guys. Quinn Priester is a pitcher, right? He's good. Um, O'Neal Cruz, obviously, we've seen up the major league level. Even Cabrian Hayes, who graduated. They have like a couple of these cornerstone guys and then not much depth behind them. Whereas I think the Cubs are in this very unique balance of a lot of depth in like this 18 to 12 tier of prospect on the list where it's like these guys are good and it's it's a better chunk of the middle list than I think if you compare to any other list. And this is backed up by Fangraphs, who does system rankings very systematically where they attach a dollar value to each class of prospect. And I think for the major league average prospect level, according to Fangraphs, the Cubs have the most majorly average future prospects of any team and they're top five in terms of the value of the farm system. So I think that's probably the best way to, you know, very quickly uh, analyze where they are as a system.
2: And that's something that's really valuable, right? Like you think about it and, and, you know, your gut reaction might be like, oh, well, there's no superstar. There's no, you know, like there's no Mike Trout coming, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? When you look at some teams who like, like I I look inside the division, you look at the Cardinals, so it seems like every year it's like, Oh, oh, Brendan Donovan! You never heard of him, but here he comes, and he's an NL Rookie of the Year candidate. Yep. The Dodgers every year they seemingly bring up a new guy that you know. That's there. There's still a ton of value there, right? Like it's it's not something to like look down upon by any means.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point, Andy. And I I think in talking to other people and even other sports in something as risky as projecting prospects, I think most organizations would prefer having multiple shots, multiple lottery tickets of sorts, rather than one stab and one lottery ticket such that you need that guy to convert to have any value in your system and i, I that's just a, a broad brush stroke. and i think it's something that Cubs applied to the draft this year too with kate horton going seven overall and then signing jackson ferris over slot in the second uh, second round after the competitive balance round i think they really viewed the draft as like a portfolio like we are picking multiple players such that we're mitigating risk and getting potentially three or four guys we think will pop as opposed to you know, paying a ton of money for one guy and then having the rest of the draft not really be something that they're super gung ho about, especially with arms, the rate at which they fall off high school arms and stuff. It's just most people will tell you that you need multiple shots. And I think that that's reflected in the cup system. Yeah. And I think
0: one of the things to to both of your guys' points is like the depth is important. And just to kind of contextualize it, when the Cubs had all these top prospects coming up, you know, Anthony Rizzo was the first, but then Chris Bryan, Edison, Russell, Jorge Soler, Javi Baez, like a lot of these guys and Ian Happ and Schwarber, it it was a pretty top heavy system. They had, you know, the, the top six to 10 guys at any point, they were all really high on the national rankings and everything else. But that was a little bit of their quote unquote downfall. There was a little bit of the issues of the system is after that, especially with pitching, they didn't have that wave of guys that was coming in. And so they had to supplement The big league pitching staff with a lot of free agents spent a lot of money, and now we're seeing a little bit of a difference. We're seeing Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson, you know, a little bit old on the older side, but they're coming up and having a great impact and a lot of relievers. And Lance, I know um, just overall, like looking at the pitching depth, and you touched on a couple of those guys, Cade Horn, Jackson Ferris but also what the Cubs did at the trade deadline to acquire even more pitching. How, how much stronger do you think the pitching is in this system than it was like a year ago at this time, or even let's say like just before last year's draft, just before adding Jordan Wicks. I know your favorite guy in this system. Yeah. Like how much is difference does this pitching look now than it was a year ago?
1: It's, it's completely different. Yeah. Again, as you said, that's based off a variety of, of periods of time where they've acquired players. Jordan Wicks, 2021 draft, this draft, two top pitching prospects right off the bat really high upside guy, Nazir Mule, who was not on the list, but he's a guy I think could pop eventually. Hard, super hard throwing guy, power slider. Um, ben Brown acquired for David Robinson, Hayden Wisniewski, Scott F. Ross. Like These are all guys I have inside the top 15. And then even just outside that, that Danny Palencia acquired in the Andrew Chafin trade. Um, he's an electric arm that they internally rave about. I don't exactly know if I see him as a starter long term, but I have him ranked kind of as a balance between the two. I'd love to see him as a starter. I think that'd be a super dynamic profile. Caleb Killian, back half of the top 10. Uh, I think I have him at 14. Acquired the Chris Bryant trade. Like, I, yeah, in the last two years, I think nearly every single pitcher on the list, if You correct me if I'm wrong here, is acquired in the last two years. I'm probably maybe missing. Ryan, Ryan Jensen. Jensen. Yeah. And Cole Franklin, yeah. And, and that's a great one. Ryan Jensen's a guy – that went on the dev list development list where you kind of pull him out of game action and he goes down to Arizona and works on specific things without having to worry about getting outs, which often complicates your ability to actually develop a player. Um, and he completely changed who he is. I was having falling off the lift list. And then I saw some of the data after the development list in exceptional prospect. Like he's back on my radar entirely. I think every the industry as a whole is slow to accept what he's doing. He's up to hundred. He's got like six pitches. He's legitimately throwing. I honestly think it's one of the deepest repertoires in the system. It's just, I don't exactly know if he's like a starter again. Like that's the word with a lot of those guys in that 15 through 20 window, 23 window with Cole Franklin and such. But Jensen's got a great example. Like even though he was prior regime's pick, you know, now he's in the system and they're doing a ton with him to make him better. And that's just a testament to the Cubs pitching development.
0: Yeah, and one thing real quick, too, um, I forget if I mentioned it earlier, but like for Lance's entire list, head to marqueesportsnetwork.com. It'll be up there for a while, um, and if you're watching on YouTube or on the Marquee Sports Network app, we have graphics up as well that you might have seen and will kind of intersperse throughout, um, so as Lance is mentioning some of these guys, be sure to catch out that full list on marqueesportsnetwork.com.
2: And then to your point, uh, Lance, with or to Tony's point, excuse me, with the pitching, we are already starting to see the seeds of just the development as a whole, right? There was this whole, you know, whatever you want to call it around the Cubs that they can't develop pitching, they can't develop pitching. Tony, you touched on it, you know, that they, a lot of free agents that they had to go out and get, uh, and now we're seeing it with Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, but then we see, like, I, the, I think the most prime example is Scott Efros, right? A guy who, you know, was kind of like, you know, had the potential to become a career minor leaguer. And you know he right away starts goes to the sidearm slot. He becomes an effective reliever. He gets traded for Hayden Wisniewski. How impressive are you, or how impressed are you, Lance, with just the the pitching infrastructure and their development as a whole? That makes it maybe even more appetizing to see some of these guys who are whether it's a Jordan Wicks or you know a Cole Franklin a little lower on the list that they can develop into something that can help a big league club, you know, in the in the future
1: i think it comes back to craig breslow you know he's an incredibly sharp guy obviously a former reliever at the major league level um super low slot funky guy he had some funk but i he always was a guy i remember in boston when i lived in boston he was a guy that always came out as like being the cerebral guy and i think you're getting his ability to build a system now is fascinating you know like i think one of the biggest things that's underrated is small marginal changes in an organization i don't really think bear too much fruit especially if you have like a systematic problem and the Cubs obviously had in the past a systematic problem in developing pitching like, I think they'd admit that and it's relatively obvious based on the fact that they really couldn't develop anybody and then when you completely tear off the top of that uh, particular department and you put on Craig Breslow, you put on James Ogden you put on Casey Jacobson who's the pitching coordinator does a great job and down you trickle down those those key metrics like velocity developing velocity Really, really integrating back to the strength side, guys like Corey Kennedy, which is another regime change back in 2019. They brought in Adam Beard, Corey Kennedy, a variety of other guys. Worked with Olympic athletes in Canada. Corey Kennedy did, and comes in with a very systematic approach to strength development. I, I've had really, really enjoyed my conversations with him. He's heavily featured in the Kevin Alcantara blurb, and here not to jump out of the pitching side, but you know, understanding the body development of guys, how that ties back to velocity, how that ties back to mechanics how that the synergy between him and a Casey Jacobson in terms of what they want to do with the pitcher. Once the body's to a certain level balancing what to do first, like it's completely different. It, it it reminds me a lot of what I've heard about organizations like the Dodgers, maybe not as the rays are kind of funky in what they do. Um, I don't know if it comes to the rays, but it may be comfortable to, I think like the Brewers, the Dodgers giants are a little interesting in that respect. Um, Maybe they have general different philosophies at the top level. Rays and giants are throwing a ton of sliders cubs seem to not really be on that trend entirely but they are really really digging into like cut fastballs we've seen that with keegan we've seen that with Steele. We've seen that with david robertson and some other guys really laying in on that and some of the guys in minors are throwing them too so I, I it's like you almost want to come up with your own style and signature as a department and that seems to be where they're going um but yeah it's great it's completely different than it was years ago um, and I, I i believe in it you know maybe i'm naive but i believe in it <laughs> Lance, I think one of the other things, too,
0: in looking at this list for the first time was, you know, kind of just thinking about the guys that were on it before. And we'll, we'll touch later on some of the guys who dropped off but are still in the system. But there's like a trio of guys we've already seen debut at the big league level. Christopher Morrell, Nelson Velasquez were two big ones. They were ranked 14 and 15 in your preseason ranks. And then Anderson Espinoza, who I think came in at 19 obviously acquired at the trade deadline last year from the Padres and the Jake and the deal. But, you know, can you maybe just talk a little bit about those three and the thought process that went into them and just kind of how they've, what they've shown in the big leagues, maybe was what you expected or, or haven't expected from what you saw of them as prospects.
1: Yeah. Morell was a guy that I feel like everyone was ripping me for having 15, but then I went back and looked at everyone else's ranks. And I, I think I was the highest on him. I think Fangraphs right. might have been slightly higher. But I was higher than Pipeline, I was higher than Baseball in America, he was just tooled up. Like, I remember watching him in Tennessee, and it was like, yeah, this is like some of the loudest tools in the system. I don't know if he's ever going to put it together. You know, he's in Double A, but it's hard. It's really hard to foresee putting a guy like that at the major league level and having him immediately make some adjustments and pop. Is like that is the hardest part of all this, you know? It's like I, I know the underlying tools. I knew he had good arm strength. I knew the exit velocity is something more great. And that made me put him 15. But I, I wasn't sure about the entire package, you know. I wasn't sure I'd be used, whether he'd strike out too much at the major league level. We're seeing him run, sh- run into some struggle right now. But, like, he's really young. He's still tooled up. I don't think those tools are going to deteriorate, especially given he's grown in size and maintained them from the speed perspective. It's just, I, I feel like I was right on him, but I was probably a little bit too low. And that might be a product of projecting guys ahead of him a little bit too aggressively, perhaps, in relation to him. Velasquez is another good one he's a guy that will graduate soon from prospect list I decided to leave him off for that respect but if he was on it he'd probably be right ahead of Mervis at at 12 or 13 um he's another guy where like the underlying metrics were great he was hitting the ball really hard we saw him there's a fall league against I, the problem there was that it was against very poor pitching and he's a really advanced hitter um but he's made some adjustments in that major league level too. he's playing much better defense than I thought he'd ever play I think that I still run into a little bit of, like, body bias around guys in the outfield when they're not PCA levels of mobility and speed that I, like, go, okay, he's probably not an outfielder, but he's played great outfield at major league level, so, I mean, I was probably even a little low on him, too, and is a tough one. He's made an impact. I think that was a piece that they maybe acquired and thought that they could develop a ton, but this is, again, the first year I got some year-over-year data and actually looking at things, and I don't know if his stuff really popped as high as I thought it did back last year when I was analyzing things. I thought he was a good five pitch guy back then. Now I think we're kind of seeing that it's he's kind of caught between that starter reliever role. I'd love to see him just go full out reliever and just go fastball slider because those are, I think for the most part, his best, best pitches sinker slider. Um, and I just love to see him push on those as opposed to trying to build him as a starter. But that catch in between can often bog your mind in terms of in terms of projecting a guy as to whether he's – truly reliever or a starter and I think we're running into that with Espinosa so but yeah morell Morrell I feel like I want to hang my hat on him but if I had him top 10 I'd feel better about that but yeah it was an underrank, but I felt like what I wrote was correct so it's tough no for sure I think and
0: like you said we've even seen the the ups and downs from him in the big league so far you know yeah. we've seen really everything everybody who maybe had a little bit of doubts or just were curious if it would pop at the big league level we've seen that we've also seen it his skills translate and and his tooled up nature, as you called it. So um, yeah, I think that's, that's definitely fascinating to kind of that revisionist history, that 2020, you know, hindsight look and to see how they play out and how they impact the big league future, which I know is obviously a big thing for what fans want to, want to hear about. But uh, Lance, we have plenty more with you coming up. We're going to take a quick break now with word from our sponsor, but when we come back, we're going to talk about some guys who dropped off the list uh, and some other guys who maybe drop down a little bit and, and guys coming down the line. So we're going to take a quick break here.
1: We know you love Chicago. You devour the pizza, admire Chicago skyline and cheer on Chicago sports teams, especially the Cubs. If you wanted to live in a more boring
2: place, you'd live in St. Louis. Why not bank with Chicago's bank, too?
1: Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Wintrust Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. Show your Cubs pride and open an account at Wintrust.com Cubs. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.
2: Welcome back to the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Andy Martinez here, Tony and Jackie, Lance Brozdowski. Uh, Lance, we're talking pitching right before the break, and one thing I kind of want to get to is some of these guys that maybe dropped a little bit, and the biggest one for me was Caleb Killian. Uh, When he was acquired last year, he was, you know, one of the top pitching prospects for, for for the Cubs that you ranked him. Now he's a little lower. That's a little bit of a testament just to the system, right, and not necessarily just, you know, what he's done individually, right?
1: Yeah, I think it is a testament to the system. I, it maybe isn't too much what he's done individually. I, I'll, I'll go into a little process behind a rank like Killian's. Killian's a guy you'll see in the in the list, I put stuff grades. For each individual pitch a guy throws, absent of Jackson Ferris, because we don't really just have too much data on him from IMG Academy, second round pick in the most recent draft. But I look at you look at things through like stuff and command, right? Stuff, I think we have a really good idea how to develop. Um, what generates whiffs, what shapes to lift generate whiffs, Maybe we lack a little bit on the deception side of things as to, like, why some guys generate more voice than you'd expect based on shapes. Steve, Justin Steele's one that I think pops up on that. Generally, you see it more with left-handed pitchers, which I can't say is too surprising based on the deception of that and the guys and the in fact that you just don't face a lot of lefties at, at any point, high-level lefties in your career, and they move quick, you know. But with Killian, he's a guy that doesn't really pop on the stuff side. And obviously, as I've come to better understand that and gotten access to data, gotten access to stuff calculators from – companies like driveline baseball to help me understand what a pitch is it doesn't really pop on that he really only has like one pitch that you'd consider like good to great which is the cutter which is a pitch he manipulates really well he throws it hard it's got a decent amount of movement but stuff metrics don't love the forcing don't love the sinker and some other stuff but the reality is that doesn't really matter if you can command everything this is where you run until like balance right like he's got this weird ability to command the ball well has in the past commanded the ball well didn't really do it at the major league level went back down to triple a didn't do it so a little bit of concern there because I think for the most part in a stuff command argument, if a guy doesn't have stuff and he has command, you know, at that velocity too, which is hard, generally the higher up you're going in velocity, the harder is command of baseball. This is why you see a lot of survivorship bias in guys who are older, throwing slower, who command the ball. I'm thinking Wade Miley. I'm thinking Drew Smiley. I'm thinking Kyle Hendricks. The Cubs are, I think a, a key team in this, you know, whole debate about stuff versus command, but those guys all command the ball exceptionally well. But I personally see a little more of a steep drop off. Like if there's more blips in command, like if Kinley doesn't have his command, I don't think he could get by by just throwing the pitch over the middle of the plate and letting it eat. Like he's going to kind of get beat up if he does that. So any wavering on the command side for me, or maybe not believing that it was as much command as we thought, it kind of pushes him down a little. Cause I just think there's a little bit more of a chance for a fall off, but you know, I'll admit, I went and I talked to, talked to Jerry Banner. I don't think he will mind me saying this. And I, I literally just told him my list. And we chatted through a couple guys, and I got his perspective. And I had Killian Lower, and he was like, you need to have Killian higher." And I was like, okay. Like, internally, they still believe in him. So, like, to some extent, I understand we're owned by the Cubs, you know, and I'm trying to be as objective as possible in here. But at the same time, like, I do think his perspective of a guy like Banner is really valuable in that respect. Like, understanding his perspective on a guy like Killian is something I will incorporate into my ranks. And it wasn't like something where it's clearly him talking him up for a variety of reasons. Like I think he still believes in Killian, which makes me then believe in Killian a little bit more. He fixes things, great. Maybe he gets better stuff. They don't have me tick him up. But for now, it's really a fix the command and then hope everything else lines up.
2: And to that point too, you know, Carter Hawkins mentioned, you know, after the deadline, one one thing was. The that was Nesky and, and Killian, they, they view him as starters and, and whatever yes. might have happened for it's, it's particularly in Killian's case, whatever might have happened in his debut <laughs> There's a lot of factors that go into it, right? Whether it's, you know, he, he hadn't pitched much in the minor league levels and, and they were, you know, this is when Smiley and Stroman and, and basically every starter that the Cubs had was, was falling to an injury bug that they, they needed Caleb Killian up. And so it was kind of out of necessity more so than than progression. But those are that, like that, that still is, you know, the, a bad blip. Like, like you touched on, doesn't necessarily paint the whole picture. Um, and I want to touch another guy, Cole Franklin, too. Another guy that kind of dropped. Uh, what was reasoning there, and what are what are you seeing from him?
1: Yeah, Cole's more of a guy's ahead of him got better. Uh, fastball's still great. He's curveball changeup. Um, he's also got his hasn't really thrown a lot of innings. Uh, which I think is going to slow down the development a little bit because you kind of have to build them up, I think, before you start to change things. The change up's really good, doesn't grade out as good, but it generates a ton of whiffs, which I think there's something deception wise or spin wise going on there. The curveball's good too, but I, I, in the major league level, you just don't see a lot of curveballs as primary, primates, uh, primary secondary pitches, if that makes any sense, like your primary mm-hmm. breaking ball. You don't see a lot of guys throwing curveballs. So for me, it's like, I know at some point they're co- probably going to get him into a cut or a slide of some kind. I'm almost making that assumption, but I think it's something that's going to take more time for them to get to because of the buildup they need to do on a guy like him. So I, I kind of am unchanged on him. It's just you have like five other pitchers now who I view higher, Palencia being one, Wisniewski, Brown, uh, I'm missing Ferris Horton. Like you have to put those guys in above Franklin to me. So you just he just naturally falls down. I think that the Franklin rankings guys going ahead of him killing is a little bit more of a reassessment on what I think of his prospect. But again, it's not, it's not a knock on either guy. It's just the Cubs are stacked. They got a lot of guys that are
0: relevant. Yeah. And I think to all this stuff that we're talking about, obviously impacts why some guys dropped off the list completely. And then other factors there. So, you know, there's a group of four players. I know that Reginald Preciado acquired in the New Darvish deal. He was 13 on your preseason list uh alexander Vizcaino acquired at the deadline last year 18. he has yes. been on the restricted list all year so he has not pitched at all that's obviously a huge reason i you know i yes to pick words out of your mouth but that's a big yep. reason. no that's spot on uh kristen franklin outfielder drafted a couple years ago um at 20 and then braylon marquez at 21 so i guess you know first up I, I think the two most interesting in their lands that i'm curious about it is Preciado. i know he was in consideration for this list too but then braylon marquez he was a guy He was the top pitching prospect in the system basically for a couple of years, but we haven't seen him pitch more than one game against the White Sox in 2020, really over the last three seasons. So like, you know, how, how do you evaluate that injury history for a guy like him? And then also just Preciado, like maybe what went into that and how difficult was it to, to
1: leave him off of this top 25 list? Yeah. Preciado I had on at 23. And then in that conversation with banner, he was like, you have to have Moises Balsteros on this list. And I was like, I don't know how else to take off the side from Preciado because I really want to stick with my two relievers at 24-25. I think those are back both leverage arms. Um, so, again, it's Banner's fingers on that. But no, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, he made a good case. So, like, that's, that's what I did. And is tough. I, I don't think he's an infielder. I think he's too big. He's going to push to the outfield, and I don't know if the bat will catch up a ton in that respect. I, I didn't love a ton of the of ball data. I just, and, but again, like the other thing here is like, he was injured. Like there's a lot of injury here, which complicates your ability to look at data clearly and compare year over year. You know what I mean? Like they say, if you just look at general like average exit velocity curves in a player season and a guy's playing through an injury, you can generally line it up with a dip. Like it makes sense. Like if you're injured, you're probably not able to put out as much pure rate of force development, pure power as you're going to be able to. Otherwise, if you have like a mental block in a certain part of your body. So that's tough for me in terms of looking at a Preciato and going okay things are down but is it down because of the injury is it down because of other things is it down because of the approach and it's a combo that for me but for me it's more of a positional move thing where i just don't he was he was ranked highly because he was going to be an up the middle guy for a while and then he moved to third he was going to be a third guy i don't know if there's enough power for him to stick at third which is something i ran into james with james Trianto. so it's like is he go to second it's really not a prototypical second build so then it's like okay he probably ends up in the outfield and then it's like I don't really know if the floor there is great so I kind of see him as like a, a like an Owen Casey type where he probably moves to first base DH but I just don't know where the bat's gonna go Christian Franklin with the Patellar t- I actually really liked him that's that's another one where I think guys just came in above him that pushed him off where like I wouldn't be surprised if Franklin pops back onto this list. Um, Brandon Marquez is a tough one. That's more of an injury build-up thing. Where like we have a really large sample now where he just hasn't been on the field, and I, I just don't know how to assess that, so I'm leaving him off. And Vizcaino is a tough one. Like he just hasn't pitched. He's been on their strict list. That's he just falls off for me. I don't I don't know what to do with him. We haven't seen yeah. him in a while. I love this stuff when I when he was pitching, but I, I just I can't rank him right now on that. I'd rather rank someone else. I think I could, even if the prospect pedigree is a little lower maybe there's a little bit more variance and we have a sample and do some data that looks good on a guy like Franklin or Ballesteros such that I'd rather put them there.
2: And last, some guys that newly appeared, Matt Mervis, one of them, Ballesteros, another guy. Uh, What do you, what do you, what have you seen from them? Whether the data, people that you've talked to, what made them jump out? Matt Mervis in particular, I feel like, you know, Matt Mervis that you were hearing him just mash, mash, mash on, on Twitter, especially. It seemed like every other Seemed like every other day there was something new that he was doing and now we see him appear on the prospect list. Uh, what what have you seen from him and what have you seen from, from him and Vice there sp- specifically?
1: Yeah, yeah. Mervis is definitely the pop guy the year on the early offensive side. It's I don't know if it's really light tower power in terms of the raw max X stuff, but it's really consistent power. I think he also has a kind of flat swing, which allows him to get the balls up in the zone. Um, I don't know what the upside is on him i think I, I am a little aggressive on that rank in terms of assuming that like he's going to be an impact bat at the major league level because i think he's going to hit multiple kinds of pitching i don't think he'll struggle as poorly versus lefties it's legit power and there's also a case on just the production side like if you produce for that long there's a point at which you kind of have to be like okay there's something going on out here yeah. i think he might be a guy similar to brent davis where they're not going to destroy exit velocity leaderboards like morrell but you know, StatCast has released a bunch of stuff around bat speed and attack angle and sweet spot data that help us understand hitters better than just, like, how hard do you hit the ball? There's a lot of guys who don't hit the ball exceptionally hard that were really good hitters. The two that always jump to mind for me are Nolan Arenado and Christian Yelich. Arenado's had some exavilo spikes this year, but, like, those guys were, like, kind of average to slightly above, maybe in that just above average window of how hard they're hitting the ball. But really good abilities to put bat on ball. And I think that was where you run into with Mervis. Um, where I kind of see him as like a 20-25 homer guy, even if it's like a 240-250 average. I think the approach is good enough where the OBP is high and he'll limit the king. So anytime you give me that combination of ability to understand the strike zone and power, it's like it kind of is almost automatic top 15 for me, Um, which has kind of become the case with Canario now. I was way up there where I I was high on him to start because the exit was so good. And that just approach thing for him is insane. But to get to your point on Moises Ballesteros, He's a, again, Banner just said he's on the list, and I, I, he was in consideration. I just wasn't sure if he'd stick behind the dish or catcher. Banner's pretty confident in that from my conversation with him, uh, which I think everyone else is too. Um, so, the key thing there for me is also, also jumping ahead to the Cubs offseason prospect development camp. They do this camp where they keep guys down there for four months, room and board, food, and it allows them to have real time feedback on their body development primarily. So, for those first two months, it's really like body comp changes. So, Baesteros is a guy that I think. Is going to come out in the best shape of his life next year. I'm assuming that in his rank to some extent. The approach is really good for the level too. Like, it's really aggressive. You'll see a lot of these guys coming out in inter- as international free agents are very aggressive. I think that um, – I don't know if it's a cultural thing. I'm not entirely sure. I don't want to make any assumptions here. But, like, those guys, like, in showcase ball too, you swing a lot. Like, you're not going to a showcase to walk. You're going to a showcase to show that you can hit the ball hard. And I think that bleeds into a lot of major league play. We saw this with Kevin Motte last year, shortstop, and just, just missed this list. He was so aggressive, and then finally this year, he kind of corrected his approach and started to hone in on his zone. Um, Biostaros kind of already almost has that. He's really aggressive, but he's got good bat ball and good power mix, where if he sits behind the plate, even with a robo zone, I think he's a guy that puts up together a decent offensive package where, like, if the framing isn't good, that's okay. Like, in four years, we'll have a good idea of what they're doing with the robotic strike zone, and I think he's a guy that might really benefit from that um so that's kind of why he jumped on to me um i like, like him he's a good player
2: really quickly i want to follow up on the point you touched on like how tough is that to balance when you see like the stuff you see all the advanced data but you there, there's just that guy that you know he's just he's just getting hits every single time he's he's going two for three every single day and you know the the data might not back it up saying it's too pretty how do you, how tough is it to balance that especially when you look at some of these like maybe a guy's in class a and uh, you know the pitching's not up to par, but like, how do you balance that? And when you're trying to build out these rankings,
1: I think the, the answer there's time. I think time corrects a lot of things. And it's a reason why Canario is so high because we have a stretch of time now where he's done the same thing. This isn't a week or two where he's, his approach is now great. Um, and it also works in the inverse, right? Like Riley Martin is a guy who at the beginning of the season, Andy, I remember us being like, he's Riley Martin's a lefty for South Bend right now. He's not starting. He's kind of in a multi-inning bullpen role. He was starting in Myrtle beach. And he was like, his strike rate was upwards of 50%. Yeah. But the underlying data there wasn't like, this guy's the greatest pitching prospect on the team. It was like, it's good, but it's different. So I, I was concerned that just the hitters weren't good down there and they weren't understanding what he was throwing. So when he got promoted to high A, he saw a little bit of correction there. And again, that's just, a, it's a time thing. And it's like, obviously you could have all the time in the world and wait on this and then in 10 years be like, let's do our 2022 prospect rankings it'd be completely accurate on them so for me it's more like i try not to overreact to things as quick it's like I, I think the data does a really good job of checking you on that it's like if a guy's running into ball like i've seen a lot of tenant there's a lot of huge homer totals at tennessee this year jake slaughter jonathan perlaza are two guys not on this list but i think they both have 15 or more home runs i think perlaza has 20 and i if that's one of those things where like that power seems to be consistently coming from that level whereas i, I wonder if it's something with the ball or the park that's kind of inflating a little bit. And it maybe it's inflating Canario a little bit, but for me, Canario, the approach is so good that I don't really care if it's inflating power. Um, so I, I just, I'm a little bit like, okay, like, let's take more time. Let's see AAA. We've seen Murphs fall off slightly at AAA, but the underlying stuff's still really good there because the approach is good. So I, it's really time, man. It's really a time thing. It's like, can I wait? How long can I wait here to understand, you know, it, you know where's my cutoff point to then look at the data and be like, okay, is this backed up by the performance? Like, Luis Devers is a good one. He's dominating and high A after a promotion from Myrtle Beach. He's like a .57 ERA, but his strand rate is incredibly high. He's getting really lucky with runners on base, really lucky Babbitt, And the underlying stuff's good, but it's not great. So it's like if the underlying stuff was good and great, he would have been a guy I had on last year and been like watching him to break out. And then he would have broken out this year and it would look incredibly smart, you know. So he's a guy I think that's going to go through some correction I tend to bet on strikeouts more so. So I, I personally would like a guy like Porter Hodge a little more, who's not being talked about a lot. I think he popped on Callas' list. Um, he's a 2019, I think, like 13th rounder of a high school in Utah. Um, he's popping a little bit. He's throwing hard. He's cutter, slider curve change, I think. And the fastball and, and, and slider are good for him. Uh, but he gets strikeouts. I, I think i just bet on that lasting longer term than some weak contact like Devers is creating. So I guess that's a little bit dive into, like, the process itself. Plus, I mean, that's an awesome name, Porter Hodge. is. It's, it's great.
0: Right here, yeah. It's a great baseball. It's an all-star
2: name. level name.
0: Absolutely. 80 um,
2: great name. <laughs>
0: <yes>. <laughs> Lance, I, I, we talked a bit, too, just about pitching and, and relievers like Scott F. Ross um, coming up through the system but then we've already seen some other fruits of the labor and like Brandon Hughes and then Eric Illman coming up. And to some extent, you know, a guy like Michael Rucker, but you have a couple of relievers on the list. I know yeah. just in, in past iterations of these rankings, you've really kind of used that 25 spot as like a reliever. It was Ben Leaper in yep. the preseason list. Leaper's not on this year, but like um, Jeremiah Estrada is at 24 and then Zach Lee at 25. So I'm just curious, like, one, maybe the mindset that went into having two guys uh, and you touched on a little bit with the high leverage spot before, but like also just this wave of relievers coming up, how, how close do you think these guys maybe are impacting like the
1: big league bullpen? Yeah, I think they're really close. I think we're getting to a point too, where the Cubs maybe stop kind of off season spending on Penn and start to develop it internally. This is something you've seen in teams like the Orioles where they have a lot of guys in that back end of the pen who are really good. We saw some Jorge Lopez, Felix Batista, um kind of guys that either acquired and changed or internally brought up and are really good and just laid into stuff. The stuff side of things is really important in relievers when you don't really have to worry too much about command. Astrada is nasty. Uh huge, huge vertical movement on the fastball. It means he's converting a lot of that actual spin the movement, has that rise and carry that you often hear so effective at the top of the zone. And then he's got a wipeout slider. I love his combination. He's 94, 96. Um, He's a guy who could probably hip it up a little more when he gets in there, but love him as a leverage reliever. It's just, a, it's a, going to be devastating versus righties. And Zach Lee is another one. There's more variance, I think, in his profile, but I love this kid. He's got really, really good feel for spin. He's also got like a little bit of this funk that you see where he's like, when you run everything through the pitch tracking data side, it'll start to like think he's throwing different pitches when he's not, which is like a product of his ball just kind of taking off, which I, he's just such a good field guy he's throwing fastballs that have a lot of that vertical care we're talking about but then just take off arm side into righties I don't know if that's a seam orientation thing or just a pure like spin thing his slider is like a slider curve it's charted as a curve but he throws two pitches it's better when it's a slider because it's a little bit harder and it holds fastball playing a little better but it's it's nasty like it's the model of a modern reliever is a hard fastball and a nasty slider and both those guys have it so I went to, I went with both and them. still a guy that I think has an impact, but I think as for me now, Strada and Lee are like the future. Like if you're having me put odds on who gets saves in 2025, those are my two front runners. Um, assuming it's not someone externally coming into the uh, back to the organization per se, but just really like the makeup of both those guys. It's They have those two pitches, as you'll see from the stuff calculations on the list are like the two best pitches in the organization. Both those guys, fastball slider, fastball slider, just nasty.
2: Lance you we've seen a lot of guys that have just jumped up on the list whether it was this year whether it was last year uh if we can kind of put on a futuristic goggles w- yeah whatever you want to, you want to peer ahead into August August 18th 2023 uh what are some guys that maybe aren't on the list maybe are low on the list that you could see up near the top or that you could see you know being potential quote-unquote sleepers
1: yeah I think the name that comes to mind for me is a draftee from this year his name is named Christopher Paciola. Um, I think he's a California high school shortstop. He internally was loved by the Cubs on the strength side. And I also just think in, the depart- in, in every department, I think they got him in the third round or fourth round. I might be mixing that up, but he's a guy that, like, I think they were comping to the Red Sox first rounder who's picked in the back half of the 20, Mick- Mickey or Mikey Romero, I think his name is, who's also a shortstop. Um, they love this kid. And the quote I got, that I think sticks out most is just he hasn't really been in the weight room. So if you assume any body adjustment this offseason, especially if he's a guy that stays at the prospect development camp, I think he's this guy that just comes out and maybe even looks a little triantos where hopefully there's a little bit of pop. Not looks triantos but triantos in terms of the performance, where they send him to Myrtle, and he's really good off the bat, or they send him to AZL Complex League maybe early next year, spring in trucks, and he's popping everything. He's playing good short, and then all of a sudden you have another shortstop prospect that you kind of have to put on the list. It'd be probably an interesting debate between him and Mate. Especially if, if Maddie finishes off the season strong at high A and into next year looks good in that respect. On the pitching side, you know there's multiple guys. This stuff's a little bit harder to project without like a little bit of inside info here uh, in terms of like what changes they're going to make. But the guy for me that I think could jump up and I love him is Drew Gray. He's coming off Tommy John surgery. I had him above Jackson Ferris, which is really in contrast to what Jim cows has on his list, with Ferris being I think 10 or 11 on his, and I, I think Drew Gray being lower, but. What Drew Gray did in the Arizona Complex League before he went to Tommy John was like, like whoa, like it was it was incredible. He had two pitches; they were swinging, hitters were swinging and missing at more than fifty percent of the time, which is astronomical. He It's only like four innings, but the reality is this pitch, data stuff stabilizes very quickly, so you can see almost immediately the quality of the stuff, and his quality of stuff was off the charts, and he was throwing ninety. And I'm pretty sure if you're going to Tommy John, and even I, I DM'd him a little bit, and was talking to him. And, like, I think his goal is to add velocity. If that kid comes out 93 the beginning of next year, like, I think he's a top-12 pick, a top-12 prospect, like, immediately. Like, I, if I see 93 on the mound for extended periods of time, he's top 12. Like, I will find a way to get him in there. Because the slider's disgusting. The fastball was disgusting. I, I just think he's super high upside. It's got a really flat approach. He's funky from the left side. I just – I almost like him more than Ferris. And, like, you're telling me he's going to get up to 93, 94, like – man that's so tantalizing from like a high upside development standpoint to me
2: really quickly I do want to say uh I, I I'm not gonna let you off the hook saying you slid into his dms like that's that's gotta did, be highlighted just, on the yes. podcast that like yeah. that 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 is not we're not glossing over that
1: <laughs> I, I did I did I'll admit
0: it uh Lance so I kind of want to end on this one with you so a lot of Obviously, a lot of this is for, like, prospect nerds or people who really focus on it. This is all amazing stuff. Maybe for, like, a casual fan who focuses more on the big leagues, can you name a few guys? And we talked about it with, like, Estrada, who's even performing well in the AAA level, or Mervis. And Brennan Davis was at AAA before getting hurt. But, like, some guys that you think can make an impact in the very near future for the Cubs in Chicago, um, a la Morell and uh, Velasquez this year, and then to a lesser extent, Espinoza.
1: Yeah, and Alexander Canario is the one here because he's 40-man, which is the same situation morale was in where he was in double-A. It just got called up, and now he's a major leaguer. The same thing happened to Canario. He's already 40-man. He's a really good power bat. Even if he runs into stri- strikeout concerns, I think he's a guy that like looks a little like a friend mill in terms of the raw power, and it's going to be fun in that respect. Um, I, I really like him. I'm seven on the list, I think. I just think it's something that is impact pretty soon. And Matt Mervis too, obviously lefty first baseman. I think he's like right on the cusp. And then Jeremy Estrada too. I'd say those are my three. So Canario's an outfielder. Mervis, the first baseman. And then your relievers to keep an eye on is Jeremy Estrada. Where like, again, like I think he's going to be in the, in the room for saves. Like it's just going to be the best stuff in the pen when it comes up. Like Rowick is a guy who has really good stuff. But I think you have a large enough sample now where he's kind of caught in between. Like I think he's more of like a seventh or eighth. Any guy rather than a closer, even though Rossi loves him. But, like, I, I'm convinced that when he sees an Estrada and Estrada is able to kind of eliminate righty bats, like, maybe they match guys up, which a lot of other smart teams are doing where you don't really have a saves leader and you have three or four guys. But if you go right, right, right in a lineup, I want, I want Estrada in there because the slider's filthy. And I think he's a guy that you'll be seeing a bit of. And he seems like a really good guy. I'm actually really excited to eventually talk to him, hopefully, in spring um he's another guy who's just slim to the dms of andy so uh i'm just sliding his dms man i gotta get better info sometimes come on
0: no yeah, you gotta go right to the source i hear you well lance this was fantastic thanks so much uh andy yeah. and i are both smarter for having listened to this and hear you talk about it i uh, hope the listeners are as well lance this is really great uh thank you again everybody check out marqueesportsnetwork.com for the full list and then lance also has a, a breakdown of each guy and the reasoning behind it to go more in depth in a written form and not podcast form. uh, I think overall it was like 8,000 words or something, right? Lance was like this whole thing. But yeah, definitely take a look, um, you know, check it out. We'll have another prospect rankings in the off season or sorry, in the preseason, like leading into 2023. All right. So that'll do it for the Cubs weekly podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports
1: Network app and YouTube. Thanks again for listening.